Welcome to the Toffee TV podcast with me, Ped. We've got Baz, who's at home struggling with uh, non-COVID symptoms, I'm, I'm glad to uh, say. And joining us as well for the first time on the podcast is Terry McAllister. Afternoon, gents. Afternoon, Pedro. Afternoon. You all right, Baz? You know, you know, coughing or spluttering or no? I'm, I'm all right, I'm all right. Bleeding I'm from the right. eyes. Back. Be back at it. Please. I'll be back at it tomorrow, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, let's start talking about Southampton from the weekend. Obviously, Everton lost their unbeaten record. Unfortunately, to Southampton, who for some reason I just can't bear. I don't know what it is about them. I, just, I don't know. I just can't bear them. But um, Baz, where, where did it all go wrong? Um, that kit. I'm blaming. Do you think? Uh, yeah. Do you think we should have if you, if you to a yellow game, at half time? You'd have come back. Should have gone full. Man United. Um, no, I think, listen, the, the loss of Richarlison was a huge thing for us. Um, his own stupidity ensured that he wasn't involved in this game. And what was really weird was, I actually, I, I know I've seen a couple of people disagree and others have agreed, but I thought the first 20 minutes we were all right. I've watched, I've watched it, like some of it back. Um, we seemed to have a good handle on the game. He looked a threat going forward. We'd had the early warning, uh, which Redmond, when Redmond put that opportunity wide early on. But we looked like the more likely to score. And the thing what disappointed me was the minute we went behind, everything went out the window. We stopped doing what what we'd been doing. And I think that was really telling, I think, from the other games. Is that any other games when we've gone behind? We've barred in the open quarter of an hour against Liverpool. But in general, if we've conceded, we've just carried on doing what we've been doing and got ourselves back into the game where I feel like on Sunday panic set in when we went behind and I, I don't understand why and I'm like you by the mm. way they just wind me up Southampton and I really don't know why <laughs> Tez what what are your thoughts on we saw it on Sunday I think it just well just before we start I hate Southampton as well I think it's just the way <laughs> They definitely touch a picture of Margaret Thatcher in the tunnel before they walk out, don't they? Just above the stairs. Um, <laughs> the old, the old, apparently, I've heard they, they train in Boris wigs. That's what it is. And they actively go around Southampton taking food off children. <laughs> Allegedly. Got, like, strong, strong and stable and leave EU on the uh, training ground. <laughs> They've got megaphone, they've got leave.eu. Yeah. They've got spotters on the roof of the ground looking for the boats <laughs> in the channel. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Baz has touched on it there. The first 20 minutes is all right in the game, but I think that's because they were paying us a little bit of respect. And then when they tossed out that we had no counter pace, like nothing to hurt them with, if they pushed up, they started pushing up and we didn't know what to do about it. So, you know, every time a Wobie got it, in place of Richarlison, instead of doing what Richarlison would do, was just attacking the goal directly and looking to make something happen. He'd slow it down, he'd turn round, he'd look around, and they would, they probably picked up on that, and then started to push their full-backs up onto ours, and we could we had no answer for it, because, you know, Godfrey was getting doubled up on, 
he didn't want to go, you know, too far to overcommit in case he got caught out. And then that obviously had a knock-on effect on James Rodriguez. He didn't have the space that he usually gets. And that just, that sort of, losing the two players, it sort of upset, you know, the recipe, you know, like of the rest of the team. It wasn't just the man-for-man drop-off in quality. It affected everyone else's game because they didn't have the options they used to. They didn't have the, the sort of, the chemistry that they used to. So it just spread throughout the whole team then. And then obviously they did a good, you know, they've got a good side as well. They had pace in wide areas, kept getting around the back of us, kept, you know, doing us with movements off the ball. And that was it. Just We had no answer because if you looked at the bench, it was just more of the same type of players that we had on the pitch. Is it just me or is Awobi the most non-Everton player ever? Like, nothing about him strikes me as being an Everton player. Like, I don't, I don't know if he's a great, but I see him playing for Fulham in 12 months. Yeah, Palace. It's, Palace, it, I think he'll be. Yeah. He'll, he'll be somewhere that isn't here. He's he's not an Everton player, is it? That's the, it's. You couldn't explain that to another supporter from another club, but he just doesn't fit, does he? So, seems like a decent enough lad. He's got talent, but just hasn't got it, has he? There's the, we've had loads of, like David Classen was the same, good, you know, decent mm. footballer, but he just wasn't an Everton player, was he? Didn't mm. fit, and it won't be doesn't fit, and we've we now can see everyone sort of knew it anyway, but the drop-off in quality all over the pitch after the first 11 is, is massive. There's bodies everywhere, but Iwobi is not a replacement for any of our front three at all. What I find frustrating about Iwobi is just that there's a clearly a player there. There's clearly a player with talent. He's not Richarlison, but then he should be something else. But yet, when he plays, when he starts a game, he, he just doesn't show any natural ability or natural... I'm trying to think of the right way. He just doesn't show that any kind of football savvy, Baz, does he really? No, I think Terry said it there with... Um, it's something that I think we said as well, is that it's not even the same... Having the same, <clears throat> excuse me, having the same quality of player to replace the two that have gone out. It's having a player who can do what they do. It, do you know what I mean? Even if it's to a lesser extreme. If we had yeah. a... I'm not having a go with Ben Godfrey because I think he's he's done all right in, in patches, but he's not naturally going to fly down that right wing. So, therefore, <clears throat> what we've been doing in the opening five games is Coleman's been doing it and if someone's got to go with him because he can't leave him on his own. Therefore, Rodriguez is getting the space. And on the other side, like Terry said, Richarlison's first thought when he gets the ball is to attack the goal. It's not to turn back. Sometimes yeah. he does turn back and he waits for Dean, but in general, it's to run at the goal. And we had two players playing in them positions at the weekend. That wasn't one because he doesn't really play there, but the other one should play there because that's where he played for Arsenal. And I think you're right. He's like, I've watched some stuff because I've been getting the stuff ready for the numbers game. Um, so I've been having a look at a Wobi. And you know the one that he turns back and has a shot and it hits the side net. And it's after about 10 minutes in the game and it's a really yeah. good break, actually, by Everton. And Luca Dean makes a 70-yard sprint. And there's two there's two things in, in the move. When he receives the ball, if he just gets his head down and attacks the penalty area, there's Guilfi Sigurdsson and um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin are in the box. So all he has to do is run at the goal and throw it across and one of them's got a tapping. He doesn't. He turns like he does. And then, instead of just playing the reverse ball to Dean, who mm. would then cross it for a tapping, into trouble and ends up having a shot and it goes wide. And it, it's that kind of... 
It's not that he hasn't got ability, but it's that kind of decision-making at the moment which is holding him back. He's not Richarlison, and we knew that. But what we did think he'd do is come in and open the pitch up for us and yeah. make things happen that way. And he, he, he was a non-entity. He really was. Terry, just something Baz was talking about there. If, there seems to be like a a lack of chemistry with him. He doesn't seem to have chemistry with any other player on the pitch or Wobi. He doesn't seem to know how to link up with them. Where That's been, I think, one of the big things about our start of the season. Dean and Richarlison, Seamus Coleman and James Rodriguez. James Rodriguez playing the ball from right to left, getting Rodri- uh, getting uh, Richarlison and Dean in space. But with a Wobi, Baz just mentioned the dirty amount of times on Sunday, they had a player who overlapped them or who could play a one-two with them, and he decided to take an extra touch and try and take on the Southampton players. So it just shows there is a, even though he's been at Everton for well over well over a year, it doesn't feel like he's got chemistry with any of the other players. No, he probably hasn't, has he? That's the, the long and short of it. He's just he's he's come in, and when we brought him in, we didn't need him. Like when we when we brought him in. We were playing four two three one, and his two positions feasibly. We had Bernard in, and we had Sigurdsson in. You just had good seasons, so we. He's never really been able to establish himself in the team to create a, a partnership, has he? Like Bernard has, you know, fell off a cliff now form wise, but he at least does have, you know, an understanding with Luca Dean, and and um, you know, he, he has an understanding with Sigurdsson, but it will be. He's never had that sort of stability in the team, and some players. Probably will never get it. I couldn't imagine him getting it. You look at you look at players who we brought in. How surprised where we went to Corre, um, Rodriguez and Allen all went in the starting lineup for the first game. I didn't think they. I thought we might get one. Might have got to Corre and the other two would have been held off. They went in and they've immediately picked up like they've got on the same wavelength as the rest of the team. They know where other players are going to be and I, and we've sort of clicked into a decent eleven straight away. It will be. He's never had that. And he's been here. What eighteen months now, maybe a bit bit shy of that. Mm. He just doesn't fit. He's not an Everton player. You look around the team and you see they, you know, Richarlison is an Everton player. Luca Dean is an Everton mm. player. Allen is an Everton player. It will be. He's a good player, but he's not an Everton player. You, you've you've sort of boxed him off in the first sentence of, of the topic <laughs> because that, he just doesn't fit. He's and he probably won't do. He, he will probably go elsewhere next summer and do all right there. But yeah, I think yeah, for me the only place he can play is centrally in the midfield. And that yeah. is either playing as an eight where Gomez has played or playing as a ten. And, and when you look at him on Sunday, you just think, well, how's he going to get into those positions in the team? Because it's not like he's coming on and he's making the manager think, I have to start this kid. He's doing really well. I've got to play him. Because he, he lasted 45 minutes at the weekend. You know, and I was like, I sent you the average positions yesterday, didn't yeah. I, Ped, when we were yeah. we were doing something and even if you look at it, Tess, him and Sigurdsson are literally in the same position for the whole game. The yeah. the the next to Luca Dean, there's like three players. It's not hard when you look at the average positions at the weekend to see why they, they did pick holes in us because those two were were over out the game, which meant that the Corey and Alan would just run ragged really because we they, we were a man down. Essentially, true because neither of them done anything. So that's the only place I could see a Wobi ever doing anything at the club would be in a more central position. But I don't know whether he's good enough to do it. It's funny because 
I think we are 12 months down the line and we're having the same conversations we were having then. Where does where is his best position? And I think I think 12 months ago we were saying the same thing, weren't we? That he probably is a number 10. Well, certainly the, the, like what what the number 10 we had last season. And his best game probably in an Everton shirt so far has probably been that West Ham game last season when he really it was his first chance really to play number 10. Mm. And I know he's been unlucky with injuries and stuff, but I think even though even last week, Baz, we were talking about where we th- saying with a fully fit squad, there's a chance for a Wobie to actually break in as that number ten because Andre Gomez has been had been great in the derby and okay, Sigurdsson had done all right for him when he come on, but with Richarlison on one side and Hamas Rodriguez on the other side, that that might only be the only position, and I think at some point the manager has to make that decision and say, this is the only position you're going to play in. And the left-hand side is Richarlison, Anthony Gordon and Bernard. Because we've got a lot of players to to play in that position, whether they're good enough or not. But that 8-10 role seems to have a... There is a chance for him to break in there. So, I don't know, Terry, do you think there's ever a chance he could take that position? No, personally, I, I think he's, he's... I mean, I see why you would think that, but I think he's too careless with the ball. He can't yeah, give yeah. it away as much as he does that far back. If he's in that old 10 position where Sigurdsson used to play in the 4-2-3-1 with... with it would have been a Gay and probably Schneidlin or or maybe Gomez at a point behind him. He's got a player to like mop up for him if he makes a mistake. He's the, he's the most advanced player apart from the forwards and he can get past the forward, but we don't play that. And I don't think anyone wants to see us go back to that formation. So him and Sigurdsson, I think, are just placeholders now. I think mm-hmm. we can get anything for them next summer. They'll go out because it won't be going in there. He would just be the same as Sigurdsson and, and Andre Gomez in there. Like He might have a little bit more energy and get about a lot quicker. But he's very careless with the ball and we'd end up getting broken upon a lot, I think, with him in there. Andre Gomez has his games where he looks really poor, but I think he's the most careful with the ball out of the three mm-hmm. of them. And I think that's why he's being um, preferred at the minute. And then obviously we don't know, you know, anything could happen once Kabamon gets back could be him. We, you know, time will tell on him. But I think the reason it won't be hasn't been played there is because he knows he's he's too much of a liability in possession. Yeah, good point on Gomez there is that we said this as well, is that maybe he does more than what you think. Do you know what I mean? If he's not, you look like he's had a poor game, but he, he is careful with the ball and he does help, he helps us to keep hold of the ball a little bit while players get into position. And we saw on Sunday in this game that Sigurdsson didn't do that well enough, neither did Awobi. And we did look a little bit all... It was the first game we've looked all over the shop, wasn't it? Really. You know, Liverpool had spells in the game where it was difficult, but they're the champions and they're a really good side. Southampton, for me, are just basic. They work really hard, but they're just a basic team. There's not, I wouldn't take any of their team for us, personally. Others might say differently, I don't know, but but they work really hard. And on Sunday, we looked a little bit, particularly when we, when, when we went 1-0 down, we looked all over the place. And I just wonder if it is to do with Gomez not being there and, and keeping hold of the ball a little bit better, but... What can you do? What I'd take their goalie, to be honest, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a decent <laughs> keeper, McCarthy, yeah. Decent keeper. But he does, no. doesn't have to be decent, just as sensible, doesn't he, to be yeah. ours. <laughs> the less said about ours at the moment, with everything going on, the better. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah, definitely. 
what what I mean, another little thing coming out of the game is, and I suppose it's highlighted by the fact that we haven't scored is we've conceded two more goals and two very very soft goals. If you ask me, two very very easily presentable goals. Is that Baz? Are you starting to get a little bit worried about the amount of goals we're conceding? I haven't been, and obviously because we've been scoring, so you don't worry about it as much when you're putting teams to bed. But obviously, we can't keep going on conceding two goals because it means we'd have to score three to win games. And, and Sunday proved that if we don't take it, you know, take our chances, then we're not going to get anything. But um, it's not an area I'm looking at and going. It's because of this and it's because of that. We're terrible because I don't think we are. I think if you look back into some of the games. Brighton was a mistake by the goalkeeper dropping it and throwing it in his net. And then an absolute worldie in stoppage time, you know, was a cracking goal. Liverpool, okay, you know, they were, they were, their goals were their goals, but they're a good side, so they might cut you open. But again, Mina, back heel, you know, could deal with it better. It, it's preventive, you know, definitely you could have been prevented. West Brom. Yeah, mistake for the first goal, free kick for the second goal. So I wouldn't look at it as if we're being carved open constantly, and it's it's a you know a easy goals that can that we're giving away. But certainly Sundays were because they are definitely preventable. If Luca Dean switches on off the throwing, then Wall Prowse doesn't get the wrong side of him, and that goal's cut out. And the second goal, I've had a look at it again today. Why Gilfy Sigurdsson is at the back post with two players? And Luca Dean's at the front post as a left back when the ball's coming from the right hand side. Sorry, from yeah, from the right back position is very, very strange. There's no reason for Dean to be that far over because ever it's six feet three, I think six feet four in the attack, and we've got yeah. the six. So it's just little things like that that I think they've got to tighten up on. Um, and I just wonder if when Coleman's back, I just wonder if there's a temptation there to to maybe put Godfrey alongside Michael Keane and try something like that. But uh, but obviously, I'm not overly concerned at the minute, but it's nothing, it, you know, we obviously can't carry on letting two goals in a game otherwise, but we are going to struggle. Is that something you're worried about, Ter? Yeah, I mean, Baz has took it off me toe there. Like, I, I think a lot of the, um, I think a lot of the goals, not all of them, obviously, but, and especially before Southampton, you could chalk up to a lot of individual mistakes. And before the Liverpool game, I mean, I didn't expect it to happen because of you know the, the game it was. But I would have been happy um, with Pickford and uh, Mina coming out the team. Now, I'm typically, you know, a fan of Mina, but a lot of the goals, like you know, the West Brom goals, with one of the with the Dean Garner one, where he's just sort of shimmying all the way back and does nothing about it. You know, Pickford's made mistakes, um, you know, dropping the ball against Brighton, and I think if everyone's fit, um, probably get Holgate and Keane as the centre-backs, and I think at some point this season, barring a, a dramatic turnaround, obviously the context after pitch has changed a bit now, but I think Pickford come out, could come out the team sooner rather than later, and it'll be Olsen, give him a go, depending on how, whether he's, you know, don't know what he's like yet, obviously. But, um, yeah, if Coleman's back, I'd be, I'd be like, Baz, I'd be tempted to put Godfrey in, because then we can push up a lot more then, because he's got that recovery pace, which means it hasn't got. And he's also not back healing it to opposition attackers and, and things like that, is he? So it's it's a bad start, the amount of times we're conceding two goals and getting like bailed out of it. But I think it is not a system issue. I think it's a personnel issue. 
It's just about having the players fit to predict the changes, which we obviously can't at the minute. Mm-hmm. There was yeah, one bit me. Go on, Baz. Go on. I was just going to say with Mina, I'm with Terry, and I think he's a decent defender. I don't think he's been terrible this season by any stretch, but there's just been a couple of times where he's made stupid mistakes. And there was even one on Sunday, and I think it's for the one that Redman misses. It's positional play. He's facing our goal from across that's coming behind him. So mm. instead of being side on, he's turning towards our goal rather than turning the opposite way. And he'd done this against Liverpool. He, he he turned from across at our goal. And it means he's got to defend with the outside of it, you know, trying to back healer away. And it resulted in a goal. And he'd done it a couple of times Sunday. And it's it's something he's got to work on. Is that sort your feet out off a cross. Because if you're always facing your own goal, you're going to be in trouble. You know, he needs to be side on for a cross so he can go either way where the ball does. He's, mm. It's almost like second guessing where he thinks it's going. And as a result of that, he's leaving either a man or, as we saw against Liverpool, he's back-heeling it to the most dangerous player on the pitch and it ends up in the back of the net. So, something he's got to work on, definitely. I, I think, I think um, just before we move on, this this will go into what, we're talking, uh, what I want to talk about next. It, it, we were worried at the beginning of the season when we lost Holgate that we were going to start two centre-backs. We had no real natural pace between them. And I do think it shows... In, in games at times I think one of those things you've just mentioned there Baz about Mina but like things like sorting your feet out do you know what I mean if, I think that that comes with sort of a slower player do you know what I mean mm. It's if you've got a little mm. bit more about you, you you can adjust yourself a little bit and he's bit a big quicker. lad as well exactly he's and that's, a big lad I'm not going well. against the lad I just think that that does catch up with him now and again yeah well Michael Keane had this issue hasn't he you mm. know when he's Said it a few times when he had the lockdown. His old coach, you know, said you need to look at your feet and look at what you're doing here. And he's really gone away and seen to have worked on his game. I mean, I don't think he was great at the weekend, but he's that's a you know that's a outlier really to the way he's been since lockdown. He's been excellent, mm-hmm. but he's gone away and worked on that aspect of his game. And I think maybe Yeri yeah, needs to do the same because he's a big lad. You know, six for four, six for five. You have got it. You have got to get everything right almost because you, you you can come across as clumsy being that size. So, you know, there's room for improvement from him without a shadow of a doubt. And I think, like Teddy said, you know, the ideal thing will probably be Mina or Keane partnered with Holgate or Godfrey because then you're getting both two lads who can play on the ball who are, who are quick and you're the, you're the centre-back then as a stopper, whether it's Michael Keane or it's Yeri Mina. I think that's a, a much better partnership. Well, that brings me on to my next point. Uh, yesterday, Tuesday, we've seen images or video on Instagram. Mason Holgate back training at Finch Farm uh, with the ball, which is great. And also we've seen video from Paris, Jean-Philippe Gabamon training with um, an exterior fitness academy in Paris, in the suburbs of Paris. So, And he, again, him running... Carrying weights, uh, ball work. How important could these two players be going forward, especially coming to the December time, January time, when there's a hell of a lot of football? You know, do, do these two players could these two players go straight into the team, Terry? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did because I, 
with Gabamon especially, like we all know what Holgate offers. You know, he's not only has he got like decent pace and you know he's he's actually really good on the ball and stepping out with it. But Gabamon, I remember um was it Wolves? yeah, it was Wolves, wasn't it, where he, he started last season with uh, under Marco Silva that Wofford. one game. Wofford. Wofford. Yeah, so Wofford he started. And I yeah. remember in the, the warm up before the game, they were doing like an exercise um with the back four and Gabamon in the middle of them, and they were passing it one to each other, you know, like right the way along. So I remember thinking when I saw that he's going to slot into that, you know, Gareth Barry type role, mm. where the the fullbacks push up and he's going to slot in. And I think that could be where he goes in even now, you know, with the change of manager and change of personnel. And that will free Alan up because Alan has been sitting in front of the back four, but he keeps getting caught high up the pitch, doesn't he? Because he naturally wants to run around biting people. Basically, mm. he's like a yeah. little. Adrissa Gay Terrier type player. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we could end up doing. We could end up having Gabamon sitting in front of the back four with, you know, Alan Presson and doing that role. And then Decore then can go in, rather than being in the shielding position, helping, you know, the right hand side while, you know, Hamez floats about. He could have Decore be in the sort of left hand side, Andre Gomez, Gilfie Sigurdsson position where he can get forward, but he can also get back as well, go up and down mm. properly, box mm. to box. So that middle three. Could be massive, and it could. You know, I, I, I hate making this comparison, but it is apt. It's like the way Liverpool's middle three work. They're very industrious, very, very hard working, cover a lot of ground, but they don't create a lot because they allow the front three players to just stay high up the pitch and do the work for them. Mm. So I, you know, I, I might look stupid down the line if Gabamon comes in and he's terrible because we don't know yet. But I think he could be he could be massive because you know you guys said it yourself in the post lockdown uh, sort of spell. Ancelotti kept saying, don't forget Kabamon. You know, we kept bringing him yeah. up, didn't he? Go, and we've got this yeah. player there. So didn't want us to forget about him. And I think that's probably because he thinks, you know what, I could I could use him. I think Alan is only filling in that role for now. I think he'll naturally move into that Takore position slash address a gay type role of just covering everyone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think this I think it's that it's set up almost for that. I think at the moment, while we haven't got Gabamon, I think Alan done that on Sunday when pressing everywhere because I think there was it wasn't happening through from Sigurdsson and Awobi. And really, I wanted to just go and sit in front of the back four like he had done in the first few games because we had better shape. But I think his natural game is to go hunting the ball and to force people into passing the ball so they don't get comfortable. And someone like Gabamon, that's his natural role as a, as a defensive midfield player, as the six. And like you say, Terry can drop in between the two centre-backs and make it a three, which means your full-backs then can go similar to Liverpool, similar to Manchester City, can go high on. Um, mm. So I think he could be, it could be huge getting him back. Obviously, we've got to take a bit of time with him. He's, had a, he's been out for over a year, so it's, it's not going to click straight away. But I think once he settles in, he could be a massive player for Evan. Yeah, because we did it this week, didn't we, on our Tuesday topic show on Patreon. Um and I think the people where people get caught out on this is is that James Rodriguez has somehow got to come back and cover the right back when he's a, he's a wide forward. You know that shouldn't be his job. His job should be attacking, getting on the ball, and creating chances. It's one of those midfielders or two of those midfielders should be covering the uh, fullbacks. And as Terry said there, if you watch Liverpool, you know I know Tiago, they've brought Thiago in to bring uh, to break down stubborn. Opposition, but them three in midfield have always done the doggy work for them and allowed the full backs to get forward and, and the attackers to attack. 
And I think that's something we've been missing so far. And I know, listen, I'm not putting any pressure on Jean-Philippe Gabamon or, or saying that's what he is going to do. But certainly he was brought in to replace a Jessica Gay. So he must have those qualities. He must have the ability to get round midfield. Um, and as you both mentioned there, that maybe him coming in would define what the Corey's role is and define what Alan's role is rather than what we saw on Sunday where the pair of them were sort of a little bit doing a couple of jobs rather than just their own because of that, because of Sigurdsson essentially. Sigurdsson and Anawobi, wasn't it? It wasn't just, yeah. you can't, I can't just hang Gilfie out no, no, but because No, not playing, Awobi was crap, but he's, no. he's playing wide forward. <laughs> No, the responsibility no, was on Sigurdsson. Yeah, it, well, no, you're right. But what I mean is they were, because neither of those players was doing the job that A, Andre Gomez does and B, mm. Richarlison does, it almost meant that our other two midfield players were getting pulled centrally into other areas to try and go and get the ball because neither of them want to just sit and wait. There's one early on where a lands caught high up the pitch and he hasn't been really caught high up the pitch in any game this season because he's very much been the axis. He's been the fella that sits at the base and he's allowed go. It's almost, you know, it is literally the RV, isn't it? And he's the point of the, you know, the bottom join. He's there and yeah. you've got the other two to the right and left of it. We didn't see that on Sunday. We see that whole mismatch of it. And then he got dragged into that mismatch as well. So he was getting pulled into areas he should never have been in. And then, yeah. and that's that's the thing, isn't it? Whereas, if that's his natural game, like Terry said, then that's fine. If he's got someone like John Philippe Gabamon behind him, who will who will sit and. But I've I've seen Gabamon, seen him play for Mainz. He gets around the pitch, switches the play. He's a big lad. Done the same for Ivory Coast. <clears throat> He'll get around the pitch, or he can sit in for you. He can do both jobs, and he's got a good range of passing. So, even if. You know, I think that's the model. And even if Everton wanted to bring another one in next summer because they moved out of Wobie and Sigurdsson and whatever, Delft maybe, then I think it'd be another one in the Gabamon mould, a six-foot athlete of a midfield player who, who can really strengthen that. Because the midfield is your engine room. It's absolutely key in football matches. And if we just we couldn't get a grip of it on Sunday for whatever reason. So... I think Gabamon could be huge. And then the same obviously goes for Mason Holgate then as well. As Mason Holgate, Terry said before, he steps out really well with the ball. And I mean, we've missed his leadership, haven't we, Terry, as well, to be fair? Yeah, he's. It's, I don't even think it's leadership in the sense of, you know, he, he, he bollocks all the other players. He just sets an example of like, of commitment level, not in the sense of performance level. Like he's not always, you know, streets ahead of everyone on the pitch, but he's always. He never like you know lets a player get past him. He's always like busting as you know along to get back, and he's always you know fully committed into every tackle, every header. And then other players can't you know, you you've, it's harder for other players on the pitch to have a, a you know a low level of performance when he's there. You know mm. setting the example. Like, I listened well, I've read, listened to whatever Ancelotti's book, and he said like there's different types of leaders, isn't there? There's yeah. there's vocal leaders and like you know orthodox leaders I suppose like Coleman but then there's example leaders he, he cites Ronaldo and I think that's what Coleman is he, it, not Coleman him, Holgate is he's not going to get the dressing room all round and start dictating orders but everyone in the team can look to him and go well look there's a kid there and he, you know, 
I can't be, you know, jogging down this pitch when he's, you know, covering every blade of grass as a centre back. So he'll be huge to get back. I just think it's not only their personalities, it's their style of player they are. It'll help yeah. the rest of the team sort of click into maybe even a you know like I said that at the start of the podcast, the, the lack of some players upset the chemistry and the formula of the rest of the team. Maybe we haven't even seen the best version of this team yet because when they come in, things will get even better and like there'll be more, you know, there's, there's more chemistry, more like familiarity with the with the team, basically. It's demands, isn't it, as well? It's demanding. It, like you say, it might not necessarily be him grabbing people by the throat, a la Roy Keane in his heyday, but it's what he's doing. You know, another one who doesn't want to be beaten in a 1v1, another one that doesn't want to lose a header or another one that wants to get you up the pitch and then you've got Alain doing the same and you've got others doing. It all It all rubs off and, you know, it, I've seen Holgate, you know, having a go at players for, who aren't getting in the right positions and I see, I watched, you know, Henderson the other week actually when, um, when Michael Keane scored the header as he's walking away, and he's point, you know, he's having great points. By the way, Gilfie's trying to get that point off him, but but he was like having a go and questioning people, like what what's happened there and what's happened there, and too many times I think for Everton over the years. No, we've conceded the goal, and it's been the shirt over the head or over them, or no one's really like pointed fingers and gone, "Who are you marking and who are you?" And I think I think Holgate does bring a little bit of that, and then I think when you put that with. Alan's character of like setting standards, chasing and tackling, and you know I don't think he had a great game at the weekend by any stretch, Alan. But he still won more tackles than any of our players. He still had an eighty-five percent pass completion rate. He still won the ball back more than any or him and him and Hammers. It was won the ball back more than anyone. He ball recoveries and stuff. So even though he wasn't at his best, he was still setting the standards for others. And I think you, you get Holgate in there as well and. And maybe Gabam, and you might be right. That actual eleven that we're going, we're doing really well. You know, that's a good team. Might actually go up even more, and we go, oh my god, how good is this team now? Because Holgate hasn't even played with these new players yet. So you know, that is something to look forward to. For me, and I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are. But I think he goes straight back into the team because I just think he's our best defender. I think he's our best all-round defender and all the things you've just mentioned there. He's got the leadership, he's got the ability, he's good in the air, he'll he'll grab older people as well. I think, you know, if you can see that first goal, that second goal on Sunday, something that Michael Keane lacks in, I think, a little bit is he gets older, the person next to him and says, why have we been left with this and why have we been left with that? We don't, I don't think we have too many of those characters in the team. And we've mentioned it loads of times about the idea of him being a captain. Um, he's just turned 24, hasn't he? So he's not hes mm. not a kid anymore. He's ready to step up now. Um, and hopefully he does. And I hope he comes, when he is back, when he is fit, that he comes back into the team. Because I think they're important decisions the manager to, has to make. And has to just say, no, he's my number one. If he is his number one, of course. Mm. I think the manager has to has to be like that. Um, so we'll 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 wait and see on the Gabamon issue. I think it's whether he comes in or not. I think that's something we have to look at as a whole, and that might be that might happen on Sunday. You know, with someone like Delph coming in and and grabbing all that midfield and making it a, a, a more of a structured three defensively, 
rather than offensively. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting on, on both players. Obviously, we don't know when they're going to be back yet, but it's looking promising at least. We want them all back, don't we? we want, you know, you, you want to move yeah. towards the manager having difficult decisions to make. And, you know, Seamus Coleman back, fully fit, we need. Um, you know, Mason back, we need. Gabamon in that squad as well. And you start looking at it that way then, get the Charleston back from this suspension. And we can start looking up again. And you're looking at, you know, you're looking at the likes of Ben Godfrey and saying, well, you know, is he, if Coleman was fit, would they have taken Mina out now and put Godfrey alongside Michael Keane and gone like Terry said, he's got the recovery pace, he's lightning. It's absolute. There was one Sunday, I don't know how he got back and made the tackle. He was about 60 yards up the pitch. So he yeah. is very, very quick. Very, very quick. So you put him at the centre, your team can go up 10 yards, 15 yards further up the pitch. So, you know, there's, there's options, says, isn't there, then, when everyone's fit? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the team now, you know, Carlo's been here, you know, that's a decent spell now and he's had a summer under his belt and obviously not normal circumstances. He might have wanted more players but couldn't get them money-wise and what have you. Yeah. But you look at that team, that squad, you probably could put your hang your hat on about 13, maybe 14 players or you could say they're Carlos men. Like, and two of them are injured. Like, so, I like, I mean, I there's probably players even starting who you think probably don't get in the team and not everyone's fit or if he'd have had a little bit more money or a little bit, you know, more time or what have you. This summer we might have got a new player here, a new player there, but you know you, you can see there's like a two tier system now in the squad. It's it's never going to be acknowledged by the by the manager, obviously, but you you know from looking that Bernard's not in that good footballer, but he's not in it. He's not in the. It's not one of Carlo's guys. No, no, no that doesn't even mean all the players who you know just he signed as well, but players who've signed new contracts while he's been here. I I personally was one who couldn't believe he kept name checking Michael Keane when he first came in. I can now. Because he's mm, made, he's mm. turned that corner, but he he would say, "Well, Mason Holgate, Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, Michael Keane." I'm like Michael Keane, really? But now now it makes sense, and I think um, when we get those two back, you'll probably see Barden the goalkeeper. Um, the <laughs> is a proper. <laughs> you really proper don't 11. like Pickford, do you? Ted? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, 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 if you look at the like the starting eleven, the only play player in that team you think Carlo probably won't change if he has another you know bit more money in the transfer window might have replaced him as well because he's not performing is he I mean all the other stuff aside but yeah you, you know who's going to be the players he's going to trust and focus on and he's got two of them out injured so the sooner they're back the better yeah definitely okay before we uh, move on to the Newcastle game I just wanted to touch on a couple of things in the world of football essentially so, pay-per-view, it looks like they're going to take it down to a tenner. Um, they've said they've made five million on it so far, which I don't really know if it's that's a great amount when you cut that between 20 teams and the uh, broadcasters, etc. But Baz, just starting with you, you know, when you've got someone like Mike Ashley coming out saying pay-per-view is really, really bad... I mean, you know, that's a that's akin to Nigel Farage saying the government I've got a few kids, isn't it? Really, do you know what I mean? You get into that kind of level. You're at that territory, yeah. The lowest territory, the bar is lower than a snake's belly. 
when uh, when Mike Ashley's coming out and saying he can't rip fans off. Um, but he's right, essentially. I think, listen, I don't know what the the economics of it are that they where they've come up with. Mm. I know for a fact I wouldn't be paying 15 quid or 10 quid to watch West Brom and Albion against Burnley. Um, if I'm a West Brom fan, maybe I would. I don't know. But I just, I think a fiver, I think a lot of people might have bitter. I think people might have gone, yeah, that's fair enough. They've got to make something, blah, de, blah, de, blah. You can get the games, whatever. Do you know what I mean? I, listen, I'm not saying I wouldn't pay a tenner to watch Everton because I probably would. But I just think in the grand scheme of things, if you're trying to appeal to most football fans on a, on a in general, so, you know, we, there was a game, Burnley-Tottenham the other night. Now, we're not going to pay 15 quid to watch that with Evertonians. No. Why would we? But if it was like, I don't know, if they'd have said, well, there's this new package and it's... A package, yeah. T- 25 quid a month or 30 quid a month maximum or something. Still steep, like, but 20, say 20 quid a month then, let's say that, for, and you can watch all the games. Then I think a lot of people might have gone, you know what, 20 quid, I'm not going to match and I can, I've got all the games then. I don't know because a lot of the games have been free up to now, haven't they? Well, not free. Mm-hmm. What I mean is a lot of games, if you've got those packages, you haven't had to pay extra for until you've done this. So it's a really tough one because... Like I say, individually for watching Everton, I, I can kind of see, I could kind of see myself paying to watch Everton, but I'm not going to be paying to watch any other game. No chance. Mm. Do you think this is where they've got it wrong, Ted, in terms of it being individual games? Do you think if the ad said, like what Baza said there, that it was a package over a month and it was a reasonable price, do you think more people would go for it and feel like it was a acceptable um you know, extra cost. I think more people would go for it, but they'd make less money. I think the the reason they've got it on a game by game basis is eventually when they find that magic number, because it's just a negotiation at the minute. They'll <laughs> until they find a number that is positively received by everyone in the press, they'll just like it's if it goes to nine ninety five, they'll keep they'll lower it again because they've got no end in sight, so they they've got time to to piss about basically and go well. How about Six ninety nine. That's like Netflix. And then, mm. if the when they have a month of that, if the buy rates go through the roof, they'll go right. We'll stick at that then because we'll get away with that. And then they'll have that forever more because if you do packages, people will take them and they'll get more, you know, more positive reception for that. But they'll make a lot less money mm. if it was six six ninety nine a month <laughs> a game, and there was two Everton games a month. You'd probably end up doing it, wouldn't you? Mm. Each yeah, each one. I think six ninety nine a month for a package is, is what what it should be. You know, mm. I think once you start getting fifteen, you know, when you think about what you are charged for one game by Sky, do you know what I mean? And you, it probably it might be like a couple of quid a month once you've broke all those games down in a in your package. Mm. So to ask for fifteen, ask for a tenner. I just when when we've all let's be honest, we've all got. Ways of watching the match, you know. Let's be honest about it. There's so many different ways we could easily watch the match, and yet they're not taking that into consideration. In again, when it's on the news daily that people are struggling to feed their kids, I just think they're in a they're, they're in yeah. their own world, and it's a completely different world. You know, people getting laid off and only getting sixty percent of the wages and whatever. I I just think it's mad. I just think I just think. For, 
even if like a company like Amazon said, you know the way you're seeing all these people step up for the feeding uh, the school dinners thing, wouldn't you think Amazon would just go, right, let's put this to bed, we're going to cover the cost, all you got to do is sign up. And, and they're made up because then they've got your data and that's all they care about. <clears throat> so you'd think someone like that would step up and go, we're going to take this over because the, 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 the goodwill he'd get and let's be honest, someone like Amazon, it wouldn't touch the sides, would it? You know, if they took no. pay-per-view for a couple of months. If they got everyone to sign up, their details, they'd be absolutely flying. So I, I'm, I'm amazed that not, not one of those big companies hasn't done it. Money, though, isn't it, I guess? And who, who gets them in the negotiation? Yeah, I think they'd have done it if they could. But I don't think they can. Mm. I think it's with the Skies and the BTs, you know, they get too much of a say in it. They're not going to allow it, are they? But they, they will arrive eventually. On on a, it won't be the the best thing to do, like you're saying with a package, and you know, because that's what we're going to end up with eventually. Overall, a, a, you know, Premier League streaming service, but mm. they're fighting against that tooth and nails. They don't want to allow Amazon to give that in everything but name, and then everyone gets used to it, and then I'll start crying for it even more. Sky and BT are going to fight tooth and nail and go, no, do it by a game on game because. They know if they can get that price right, that, that that sweet spot, and they've got time to do it month by month, they'll get loads more money from Liverpool fans, Man United fans, etc. for their games. I, I suppose it depends on who you listen to, because there is actual talk that Sky don't like this. They don't like a pay-per-view, they, because it goes against their model. Because they so know that people from, don't then? pay for individual games, and that's been always been the way... The Premier League has worked is because it is packages. You end up end up you end up paying for games that you would never watch. Do you know what I mean? Like there's mm. who is gonna watch West Brom versus Brighton? You know, it doesn't it's not gonna attract anybody else. And that's always been the beauty of them of selling packages of games, is that there's all if you buy into it, there's always a game for you to watch that you wouldn't watch otherwise. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Really, yeah, but that that brings me on to my next point. Um, Manchester United have come out today and said that they could easily cater for 23,500 people um, within stadiums. They said they'd worked with the government and the Premier League for a couple of months uh, on um, the you know the, to get the game restarted, and obviously, it's been pushed back because of the second wave and everything. And obviously, Manchester's in tier three at the moment, but Baz, do you think? Clubs might start ramping up that pressure now. I mean, this is the first shot, and obviously it's come from Manchester United. But do you think clubs might start pushing that now? Because what we've seen in the last few weeks is, even though different places are in different tiers, we've seen book launches inside theatres, we've seen uh, things happen in the Royal Albert Hall, we've seen stadiums actually have fans in them, but only in corporate areas to watch a game that is going on behind the, the window that they can't look out of, which just sounds absolutely mad. So, do you think f- clubs will start pushing soon to get fans back in the ground and that'll be a new pressure for the government to deal with? Uh, they may well start pushing for it. I just don't see it happening. Personally, I don't mm. see it. Certainly not this side of Christmas. I don't think there's any chance. Um, I think we're going into the winter months. Everything's getting locked down. I, I wouldn't put it past another national lockdown, to be honest with you, um, in the next few weeks. 
if things carry on the way they are. So I don't see how you can be given one message out. That's all. You can't mix with people. You can't go outside. You can't do this. You can't do that. But you can go and have 20,000 at Old Trafford. It just mm. it goes against everything that every bit of advice that you're being given at the moment by the government. Um, Man United, it doesn't surprise me that they're pushing for it because they just seem to think them and Liverpool are, they run football anyway now. Um, but clubs will want it, of course they will, because they want to they wanna generate revenue. And a lot of those home clubs will probably feel like we need our fans, we need some fans in the stadium. You know, because we've seen United get bounced 6-1 at home by Spurs, which never happens in a with 76,000 people there. Wouldn't probably happen with 20,000 people there. So there should be some clubs who are thinking we need crowd, but I just don't see at the moment how it's even possible. I really don't. I don't know how Teddy thinks any different, but I think it's totally unfeasible at the moment. No, it's it's not feasible because of the, the piss-poor job the government have done, really, of, of mm. the of the regulations because, you know, and first and foremost, they're not going to be pressured into doing it by the clubs. They weren't pressured into feeding hungry kids, so they're not going to be the least bit what Premier League clubs think. But mm. the only way you could get it, you know, get fans back in the stadium under these, like, conditions that we've got in this stupid country is if you'd add them for some clubs and not others. And I think the Premier League might, like, see their ass a little bit on that and go, oh, then you're questioning the credibility of the competition because Everton... We're not letting them have people in the ground, but they're going to go away to Wolves and they're going to have people in the ground for Wolves. And, you know, it's. I think what they'll do is they'll have to wait until it's feasible to have people in every single ground or none at all. And yeah. that that's a while off because, you know, you see all kinds, like, you know, they saw a headline earlier on saying they're going to have police coming and breaking up uh, gatherings at Christmas Day <laughs> probably won't happen but um, you know if that's the state we're in at the minute it's a long way off getting fans in stadiums yeah. I think they were just yeah sorry I think they were just highlighting the um, the fact that you know restaurants are open and um, they were saying you know people can fly on planes and people can be in, people can be in close proximity to each other and with a stadium like Old Trafford being so big and obviously surrounding areas got a lot of room. And Terry, you make a good point there because Goodison Park, for instance, is different, isn't it? It's a sm- small and closed area. Uh, the roads are tight. So even just the logistics of getting fans in the ground would be different from somewhere like Old Trafford where there's a lot more space to organise people getting in and out the ground, whether it be in, um, ta- give, people giving times to go into the stadium. So, so you haven't got a congregation of twenty three thousand people outside, um, but obviously it just puts that little bit more pressure on the government, doesn't it, to either get it right or bin everything. And you just feel like one of those conclusions is gonna, you know, one of those things is gonna happen at the end of the day. I know it. It sounds more like it'll probably be the latter, but um, it just it. I I do I do feel like football will start fighting back though. Just. Just like this, in terms of saying, well, if someone else is doing it, why can't we do it? I think we've seen that already with like you know the retail sector, uh, retail being open and pubs being shut and gyms being shut, and now they're back open. I think football's going to start fighting its corner soon because I think it's seeing that there is this general feeling that if we lob more pressure on the government, they might start getting things 
right. I mean, I don't know who thinks that, but it, it, it feels like that is a narrative. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll turn around and go, yeah, you can have people in, Arsenal, but Newcastle can't. Yeah. And that that's the, the only way, and I think if the Premier League were happy with that, then the government would sign off on it. Like, well, that you know, people in this area can and people in that area can't. But I think we're so far off getting everyone in at the same time. I think we're probably waiting for the vaccine. And then, yeah. you know, that's depressing. Like, if we're waiting that long, and I know other countries have, have, you know, got people back in now, but other countries have not got our government, frankly, which is another podcast, I'm sure. You shut, but, um, you shut borders down without having to kill people in dinghies. That's a different story. Um, let's move on to Newcastle. Uh, obviously, everyone's looking forward, Baz, to this game. We always we always love a trip to Newcastle. Um We've got to see a response, haven't we? We've got to see um, this, you know, the team bounce back to show that Sunday was just a flash in the pan. Yeah, we, we, we're all looking for that response. Got to be a response to Sunday. Sunday wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough for just a normal Everton season performance, but for a team that is, is, be, is at the top of the league and a team that wants to get into Europe this season... You can't be losing to Southampton and Newcastle in a week. You can't be. So mm. it, it's a, it's time for the players to, to pick themselves up on Sunday and go with it. And obviously, it's been made a little bit more difficult not having Luca Dean, but it's up to Nkunku now if he comes in and, and there shouldn't be any reason why he wouldn't play a left-back. Um, get him in the side and have a go at them. You know, get Anthony Gordon in the team and, and really go for it because Newcastle are a team that want to stay in the game as long as they can. They're a, yeah. a team that has a, a shape. They have a way of playing, which is to try to draw you in. They let you have a lot of the ball, get men behind the ball, play a low block. And, you know, Everton have really got to go up there and, and give it to them, like Brighton did. Brighton went up and between the up in the first five minutes and won the game 3-0. So that's what you have to do. Um, and the, the biggest thing we have to do is match them, but they don't press anywhere near as well as Southampton. And, and it'll be up to Everton, A, to Carlo, to get the 11 right, the balance right. And then it's up to the players then to uh, to show that last Sunday was, like you've just said, a bit of a flash in the pan. So, um, obviously, Baz just mentioned there, Luca Dean, one match suspension now um, from the three, which was probably the right decision. Are you, how much are you looking forward to seeing Niles and Kunku make his Premier League debut? I am looking forward to it because I'd like to see what his, you know, his, his proper level is. Because when he was playing the lower league teams, he looked he looked like Roberto Carlos, didn't he? He looked unbelievable. <laughs> but then when he was playing against um, Yarmolenko, he sort of like was a little bit more subdued, a little bit more, you know, aware of his play. And he was up against. He wasn't just steamrolling them like he did in the other rounds. So. This game, we'll, we'll be able to see. We'll come out of this game now and whether he's like a, a realistic, you know, cover of it for Luca Dean in Premier League games. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what he does attacking-wise because if this would have been against, say we were playing Southampton this week, I'd have been really worried because they're so fast in wide areas and, you know, you know press so well. Newcastle don't, as Baz said. They will they will sit back and try and stay in the game and get try and get that one chance and make a count. Um, and they they have got you know they're, they're quite good at doing that. If you saw the Man United game with them, like obviously they lost you know 
4-1, I think it was in the end. Mm. But they were in the game like 1-1 until about the 83rd, 82nd minute. Mm. And it only when the when the dam broke, you know, the floodgates open. But the in Kunku, I'm not as I'm not so concerned about his defensive contribution in the sense of I don't think he's gonna struggle in the game as much as he would against other opposition. But I want to see whether he can. You know, the crossing from Luca Zin is so important to how we play. You know, can he match that? Can he can he provide that service for Calvert Lewin? Because that's what we've been relying on a lot for goals. Can he be alive when you know Hammers comes in and looks to switch the play? Can he be there to make that run? It's gonna be a big ask for him, but it's one of the more exciting players in the um in the squads, like outside of the first eleven. So I think, you know, if we do if we end up playing in Kunku and Gordon, that could be a real like interesting, you know, part of the match, seeing how they do down that side. Yeah, it's obviously if those two starters, obviously a couple of real young players, and for for me, Baz, that I, I'd probably bring Delphin to this game and have that little bit of extra security in midfield, that little bit of experience, someone who might track over to left back when when um, those two go forward, because you know, Terry Webb made a good point though against West Ham and Kunku was he was a lot more disciplined in that game. Obviously, knew it was mm-hmm. a, against Premier League opposition, against international players and, and didn't go as mad forward but I think I'd like that little bit of extra uh, assurance in midfield and, and insurance in midfield No I think I think that's right because I think we spoke about it before when we were talking about and Terry mentioned like Liverpool's midfield and stuff is that with Delphin there he is he, he understands the, the position and he's in there with two other good midfielders and then what you say to the core is you're the man who breaks we need you getting in and around the box to give one of the problems Evan had last Sunday was Dominic Calvert-Lewin was just isolated we had that one move in the opening 20 minutes where we played it through midfield brilliantly and Gilfie knocked it into Dom and if he'd have played the first time past to the core he was in on goal and he didn't he turned away and got brought down I mean Rodriguez hit the free kick you know but I think if he'd if the core makes that run three or four times a game, he'll get in. And so he could be key for us. But I think Anthony Gordon's key because I think he's the only one really that's like Richarlison that will run at the goal. But the, he doesn't want to turn back, you know, the same way a Wobie doesn't slow the game down. He wants to, he's direct. So I think that'll be key for us. Um, but I think you're right. If we had those three, if we had Delph. Alan and Decore in midfield, then it would give you, especially if we're going with a young left side like Nkunku and Gordon, you've got that experience with Delft with the left foot who can can tuck in or can can talk them through the game because that's sometimes all younger players need is you know that older head giving them the advice through the game of where to be. But I think we do need the final third is where it's going to be telling, and I think we need Hammers on his game. If Godfrey's to be the right back. He's got to be bombing down that right hand side. He really has. He's got to, even if he's not going to get the ball, just be the decoy for um, for Hammers. But again, for me, key will be like I've just said, the Corey is a, is a key player in this game. I mean, I don't know what you think, Terry, about that because I just think Sunday we just isolated Calvert Lewin because no one really broke forward, did they? Yeah, I I agree with the with the team, like sort of selection you said there, I think Delft could be important, even if it's not Gordon, it's just in Kunku. Mm. You could probably do with Delft to do the sort of same job to Corrado's on the right for Delft yeah, to yeah. go on the left, like sort of provide that extra little bit of like safety. And then you can leave um, 
whoever's on the left and you know Rodriguez high up the pitch because you got them three and they're not going to create a great deal obviously, but they will allow you know Nkunku to play his natural game and try and get forward and try and do stuff and you know let Hamed not worry after you know, worry about covering um, whoever the right back is. I would even be tempted to um, if he's fit play John Joe Kenny and that's not even because I particularly rate John Joe Kenny I don't but I just think that natural you know right back it will help Rodriguez more than anyone it will allow him and I think if we can make Rodriguez if we can free Rodriguez up like he has been in the you know the earlier games of the season I think we've got more than enough to beat Newcastle because they're they're not really a good team are they? they've got one or two good players and just got good discipline if you get Rodriguez on the ball and give him some space then we can we can beat them, but I think he will probably struggle with Godfrey behind him again because he won't have that sort of outside run. Because I don't think Godfrey's going to do it anymore against St Maxim than he did against Bertrand and and uh, whoever was on the left midfield for Southampton. Redmond. The only but the only problem, my only fears with Kenny is a he is a right natural right back. Uh, uh, whether he's good enough remains to be seen, but he is a natural right back. I just don't think he's quick. Where Godfrey is lightning and Saint Maxim is lightning, and that's mm-hmm. a worry for me. But it's, it's, I guess it's how much you want to, you know, you've there's got to be a trade off. We've lost to Charleston, who's okay, he's only scored one goal this season, but he's someone who does come up with important goals in games, so he's not in our team. And it's how you're trying to get the goals back into your team without mm-hmm. him, and yeah. Uh, it's that's the issue, isn't it? Is that yeah, that's what I'm saying about Abdullah Decore. For me, this has got to be a game where he breaks into the box and scores. This is a kind of game where for Watford he'd get two and he'd win two nil and he'd get both of them. Do you know what I mean? That kind of key moments in the game, he's got to be running beyond yeah. Dom, or really, really giving Dom the support we need. Because on on Sunday he was just isolated, and if you isolate him, Everton then become very easy to play against. And that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm saying Kenny not for Kenny's strengths, just because of what he is. Like I'm yeah. doing it to benefit another player. But if we're going to play Delft, then someone needs to contribute. I'm digging on yeah. from the midfield. So if you're playing Kenny, whose positional sense is awful, you're going to have to play Takori in that sort of sitting back role, aren't you? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've changed my mind, as <laughs> I think uh, Godfrey probably Godfrey. Would allow to Corey to get forwards a bit more because he's you know, defensively a lot stronger than Kenny. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. Obviously, with Charleston, no wins without with Charleston. Um, that's that's <sighs> mad. That I, that is berserk. That since he signed, Everton haven't won a game and he hasn't played. Mad, isn't it? That well, is the closest would have been the nuts. Newcastle game. Well, that's well, two two. Yeah, <laughs> which just oh. shows you. Well, listen, they're there to be broken, aren't they? Yeah. Those kind of stats, they're there to be broken. So it's it's a bounce-back game. Everton have got to, to quote Ian Dowie, have got to demonstrate their bounce-back ability, haven't mm-hmm. they, on Sunday? And we've got, like Teddy said, we've definitely got the players yeah. to do it. Whether it's off a, set, a hammer set-piece, whether it's a Mina goal or a Keane goal, whether it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin, we've got players who can do the business. I just think for Everton, Decore is absolutely the key player this weekend for me. Because I think if he can make those runs, breaking into the box, I think he could he could be Evans' match winner at the weekend, and hopefully he is. Hopefully, three points needed. Take it, take us back to the top of the league. Hopefully, and because um, we are still top of the league, aren't we? 
Miato. Miato. All the doom and gloom. Liverpool, Liverpool have got West Ham. Moisey might go there and, and beat them. You never know. It's Moisey. Well, well I'll tell you what, they've players. lost Firmino as well, haven't yeah. they? So, Antonio could have a, a, a cracking time for West Ham mm-hmm. at the weekend up there. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll wait and see. Wait so, and see. The, the Lance juice seems to have worn yeah. off anyway. There you go. Big thanks to Terry for joining us on this week's podcast. We'll be back next week to discuss whatever's going on in the world of Everton and the rest of the world, I suppose. Uh, We'll see you then.